Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Primal Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, and anti-aging supplement, available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Mark Sisson. Hey everyone, it's Mark Sisson here, coming to you from the Primal Blueprint Podcast Studios in beautiful Malibu, California, where life is always awesome. Very excited today to have a guest that I've known for a, a bunch of years, and I've watched her career skyrocket and her success um, go off the charts. Just extremely excited again to, to have this discussion today and see where things are headed for her. It is Melissa Hartwig. She's a certified sports nutritionist who specializes in helping people change their relationship with food and to create lifelong healthy habits. She's the co-creator of the Whole30 program, the New York Times best-selling author of It Starts With Food and The Whole30, and she's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Details, Self, Outside, and Shape magazines. I think I've seen her on Oz, too. Melissa has presented over 150 health and nutrition seminars worldwide and connects with more than 1.5 million people a month through the Whole30 website. Welcome, Melissa. Hey, thank you so much. It's really good to chat with you, Mark, always. Well, always. And you know what? We never do enough chatting. I see you at these events and you know we try to catch up, but we're always sort of called to the different uh, tasks that we have at these events. And uh, so I think this might be, I know we've, we've shared dinners together, but I, this might be one of those chats that we've, we've owed each other for a while, right? I know we keep saying on email, like, okay, we need to get together next time we're in Austin, next time we're in LA. So hopefully, yeah, we can get it. We can kind of knock it out right. on this call. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I don't necessarily want to start an interview off by blowing so much smoke up here, but, but uh, <laughs> you're kind of a big deal now, Melissa. Well, I don't know about that. The whole 30 is kind of a big deal right now. Well, that's your baby and, and uh, it is taken off. It's, it's, I mean, everybody in the paleo world knows what it is. Uh, most people have done it. Um, at least the people that I come in contact with. So um, I guess my listeners will want to know, how did you get your start in the nutrition and wellness field? Oh, know, man. Was it always your calling or did you just you know fall into it? No, I mean, no, it was like the opposite of my calling. So my background, I mean, where this all started with health and fitness is where it, it is where I was like the least healthy period of my whole life, which is you know, back in my late 20s, I'm actually a recovering drug addict. And so I used for about five years. Um, I've been clean for going on 16 years now, but it was only when I went to rehabilitation for my drug addiction that I started exercising and paying attention to what I ate and like trying to redefine myself as a healthy person. So that's really where my interest started. Um, I got really involved with CrossFit after a while and was very active in the CrossFit community through my blog. I actually ran a CrossFit gym for a year back in New Hampshire. I coached, you know, kettlebell, CrossFit kettlebell certs with Jeff Martone, and I used to travel with Jeff Tucker. So I was super involved with CrossFit. And then through CrossFit met Rob Wolf, who was really for a long time, kind of my mentor and the inspiration for the whole 30 program. Went to a couple of his seminars. I took some of his overflow consulting clients and, you know, Rob kind of talked about this idea of like, look, this paleo diet is the real deal. Just try it for 30 days. 
So back in 2009, that is when Dallas and I decided to take on this 30-day kind of experiment for ourselves, And we did a squeaky clean paleo framework. Um, I wrote it up on my you know, personal training blog and had such a profound experience with what would become the whole 30 that I really just knew we had to share it with people. So that's kind of how it all started. Well, that's, I mean, it's so interesting because that's like the evolution that so many of our contemporaries have is that the, you know, you arrive at this uh, career that you've created for yourself, but you arrive at it through a process of personal exploration and a personal journey. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that makes it that, it, that it resonates so much more cleanly with and clearly with people when you've come from that ground of being, from that position of uh, having lived it. Um, mm-hmm. Now, in terms of your, um, the experience as a recovering, uh, in person in recovery, um, is that, do you think that that's a, a, an important part, the diet and the lifestyle right now is an important part of, of, of you know, staying sober and, and continuing on with a life that is headed in a direction away from that? Oh my goodness, I do. I really do. You know, having gone through rehabilitation centers myself and seeing how rehab centers are usually run, it's like I did nothing when I was in rehab, but like chain smoke cigarettes, drink a ton of caffeine and ate nothing but sugar. And they were like, well, as long as you're not using heroin, like close enough, that's good enough. And I really feel like to it, it's so important to have this growth mindset where you're thinking about yourself in different terms, not I'm an addict, not I have no hope, but like I am a healthy person. And so in order to do that, I think it's very important to, you know, get your diet under control and try to eliminate as many of these substances in your life that make you feel out of control as possible. And there actually is a really amazing rehabilitation center in um, British Columbia that was using the Whole30 while they were open as part of their treatment with adolescence and addiction and doing incredibly well as a kind of big picture holistic approach to recovery. I think it's really critical. And I know that there are some rehabilitation facilities that are kind of catching on and incorporating it, you know, diet and lifestyle as part of their treatment. Right. I mean, I've heard a lot of um, uh, people in recovery talk about, you know, the sugar connection and and the fact mm-hmm. that it's somehow addressing uh, the pleasure centers that were originally being uh, addressed by the drugs. Uh, do you think sugar is is like, would you put it on, on a list of drugs at this point? Like, like it's, uh, you know, certainly addictive for a lot of people. Um, and as you've just noted, um, people who are in recovery, you know, tend to, go, to gravitate toward the caffeine and the donuts and, and, you know, the meetings are all about, you know, the cookies mm-hmm. and the donuts and everything. Yep. It, it seems like that would be an issue. It seems like that would be sort of, um, uh, you know, putting off the, the ultimate cure, if you will, of getting back to a healthy, a healthy brain and a healthy nervous system. Yeah. I mean, I think that it is. Um, and I've, I don't go to meetings often, but I have in the past in support of other people. And you're exactly right. You know, it's full of caffeine and people smoking and sugar. And, um, you know, I don't know what the DSM would say about this. And I've seen conflicting opinions, but I don't think food and drugs are all that different in terms of the psychological impact, in terms of feeling out of control with your choices, in terms of continuing the behavior, even knowing that the consequences are you know, negative um, in terms of the isolation you feel with support from family and friends, like it's really not that different. Right. And so I, I would love to see that addressed in a bit of a, a broader context. I do, however, think that in the beginning of your recovery, like I used exercise in a really unhealthy way when I was first in recovery. 
because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know how to moderate. I didn't know how to do it healthfully. So I threw myself into exercise the way I threw myself into drugs and I over-exercised and I under-recovered and it was unhealthy. But that moderated itself over time as I you know, learned some new coping tools and new strategies as I learned, went through therapy and figured out I didn't have to punish myself every second of every day for the things I used to do. It evened itself out. So I don't think you can expect someone to come out of rehabilitation and immediately fall into a perfect diet, perfect, you know, stress recovery plan, perfect meditation, perfect work-life balance. I definitely think there are going to be some fits and starts, but I think over time, that should be your goal to get to this place where you have a healthy relationship with food and exercise and stress management and socialization and, and you know, nature and all of those things. Absolutely. So this, um, this rehab center in BC that was using the Whole30, what, their, you say their experience has been good, but I'm wondering how, uh, you know, what the initial reaction for people who enter a 30-day program and then are confronted with, uh, you know, eating clean uh, and, and avoiding caffeine and alcohol for 30 days. Uh, yeah. You know? So these were kids. So the alcohol and the caffeine weren't really much of an issue. Maybe caffeine in the form of like soda, but these were all adolescents. Um, I know that the program did a huge... Uh, education, had a huge education component. They outsourced to the parents and they outsourced to the kids before they even arrived at the facility and said, this is how we do things. You know, we've got outdoor time scheduled and yoga classes and exercise classes. And this is what we do for a diet. And this is how it's all going to play into your child's recovery. So I think that aspect of it is huge. I think another piece of it though, going into rehabilitation, like you're at the point where you are just so hopeless and you don't know what to do and you just want to be told what to do. And if, you know, you go into a closed facility where you don't have access to outside food and outside pressure, it's almost easier to make those changes in that environment than it is to do it out in the real world. So there's something about maybe gaining some traction with these new healthy eating habits when you're in such a safe, protected environment and learning those habits there before you're thrown out into the real world and have to make those choices for yourself. That's a great point. I mean, I, I obviously, I wholeheartedly endorse that, uh, that process. Um, so hopefully, you know, we're Malibu is like the rehab capital of the world. So, yeah. and I've got a lot of friends. In fact, I have a family member in rehab right now here. Uh, so we've got, uh, you know, I've got a, some impetus to get this sort of, uh, lifestyle and this way of eating incorporated into some of those training programs mm -hmm. or some of those rehab programs. Yeah. Uh, moving on. So, but maybe tangentially. So, um, the whole sugar thing, uh, you know, I'm seeing in our world, a proliferation of primal and paleo recipe substitutions and where, where you know, they want to make the old comfort food. They want to make the cake or the pie, but have it be paleo and have it kind of, you know, fit the specs. Um, and so now they're, you know, I, I think sometimes that it's just, it gets a little bit, you know, out of hand. Um, I know you guys have an acronym, uh, S-W-Y-P-O, <laughs> sex with your pants on. Tell we me about do. that. Tell me about that. That well, about. we don't use the acronym too, too often because our audience is now very broad. And, you know, with grandmothers and teenagers, we certainly don't want to push that envelope. But the acronym came about when I was, we were doing this nutrition seminar a while ago. And I just made the analogy that like these, you know, if you're on the whole 30 and you can't have the real deal, you can't do cookies, you know, you can't have cake, you can't have brownies because they're all obviously less healthy, like food with no breaks. And you figure out how to recreate them using these like cobbled together kind of paleo friendly ingredients. And like three years ago, these recipes were nowhere near as developed or evolved as they are now. They usually didn't taste anywhere near as good as the real deal. So I kind of likened it to having sex with your pants on. Like it's good, 
but it's not that good. And the whole time you're doing it, you just keep thinking to yourself, I wish I had the real deal. So from a habit perspective, eating these foods, if you're trying to change your habits and your relationship with food, like your brain doesn't know the difference between an almond flour pancake and the pancake you order at your normal breakfast place. All it knows is that you wake up and you had a bad night and you want to comfort yourself and you ate pancakes. So you're not really making any changes there. That's kind of where the acronym came from. You know, and I, I went to an event this weekend that served uh, paleo dishes. And I have to say the desserts were like uh, out of this world. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, these are these are sweeter tasting and more chocolatier and more caramel-like. And it's like, okay, I, I think we're missing the point here because yeah. the, the, the point was kind of like, the fact that it's made with some paleo-approved sweetener doesn't necessarily make it uh, appropriate for a, a diet that's, you know, intending to um, moderate blood sugar and, you know, improve, improve, uh, immune response and all the other things that we say that we want. Yeah. And that's the problem now is that so many people have got, they've been, they've, they're just so good at recreating these recipes and they actually, the paleo versions do taste just as good as like what you'd consider the real deal. But we are like missing the point with these. Look, it's great that these things exist so that if, you have a sensitivity to something and you want to kick your heels up for a birthday cake or, you know, a, a friendly dinner or a special occasion brunch, you can do so and not totally wreck yourself. But to say that they're healthy because the word paleo is in front of them and to like focus the majority of your day-to-day diet on these less healthy recreations is just missing the point. Again, it isn't just about the technicalities of what you're eating. It's about what is this doing to your cravings? What is this doing to your relationship with food? Is it keeping you in control of your food choices? Is it impacting your you know, blood sugar regulation, your digestion, your immune system in an unhealthy way? Like All of these things are just as important. And I do think we're missing the forest th- for the trees when people Google paleo recipes and the first like 10 pages are all brownies, cookies, and cakes. <laughs> like I think that's kind of a shame and it's a really big part of why we've never used the paleo word to describe what we do. Right. Right. Um, Another interesting term you guys use is tiger blood. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me me about that. I think that came originally from Robin Strafty, who was, she worked with for us for many years and it's like such a whole 30 queen. She just knows the program inside and out. And it it came from this weird Charlie Sheen, um, right? right? Like he, I think it was during the period where he was kind of a mess, right? Winning and tiger blood. But I really, we loved the kind of energy that it portrayed, this idea that you get to this place, specifically like your third week of the whole 30, where it's like you wake up one morning and the light flips. And it, you know, whether you switch to a primal diet or a switch to a paleo diet, or you do a program like the whole 30, at some point you lose the cravings, you become fat adapted, your energy improves, your focus improves, the bloating is down, your digestion is better. And it's like you wake up and you just feel like you own the world. And that is tiger blood, right? It's just that feeling of like, everything's falling into place and you feel awesome. Absolutely. Um, so now you've got, uh, you've got, a, it starts with food, which was a New York times bestseller and, uh, the whole 30, which just came out, the whole 30 guide came out recently. Mm-hmm. What, what's the difference between the two? So it starts with food is the kind of big picture science-backed recommendations for the way we generally encourage people to eat. So it's sort of, you know, why we're not eating certain foods and why we are eating certain foods. And we describe in detail our four kind of good food standards that the food you eat shouldn't have a negative impact on your emotional relationship with food, your metabolism, your digestion, or your immune system. 
There's a bit on it on the Whole30 in that book about how to do it and why you should do it. But it's really like the why of the program. So if you're someone who needs to know the why, why am I eating this way? And why am I eliminating these foods? That's the book for you. The Whole30 is the practical application. Like I'm sold on the why. I just need a whole lot of help doing the actual program. So it's all of the rules, all of the how-tos. It gives you like an eight-step guide to get started with the program, a huge FAQ. Can I have this? Can I have that? What do I do in a restaurant? How do I troubleshoot? And then more than 100 recipes to get you started with the program. So it's really like if it starts with food as the why, the Whole30 is the how. It's pretty funny because when I, I did the Primal Blueprint in 2009 and I had a lot of people come up to me and go, dude, this is awesome. This is the way you've described what's going on. I get it. I'm totally in. Now what do I do? Yes. And I go, well, dude, I think I told you what to do in the book. But so I had to create a book called The 21-Day Total Body Transformation yes. to, to take them step by step through. Here's how you clean out your pantry, which I told you to do before, but here's how you do it. Yes. So it's, it's, but it's interesting and it's good for authors because now you've got another, another vehicle. And I think people sometimes need, a, need to be told not the same thing over and over, but also different ways. Yes, you know? exactly. It's exact. That's exactly my experience too. It was the same thing. And and I think with something as challenging as food, like it's emotional and we get defensive. And like, I think talking about food is third only to like religion and politics. You know, it's scary to think about changing your I'd diet. I'd say so, it's above politics, by the way. No, I mean, because I've, I've seen, I've seen full scale wars erupt when people start arguing yeah. over their dietary, uh, yeah. you know, th their, their belief system as it, as it appears with the, or as it pertains to diet and, uh, the way they eat. And it's just crazy. It's like, uh -huh. seriously, back off a little bit. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. I've seen it compared to religion quite a bit as well. Right. People yeah. get very um, entrenched in their beliefs and, and they start proselytizing. But I think so because it's so emotional, I think the more step by step, really in depth detail you can provide, the more comfortable they feel in making the transition. So I think it's smart to create, you know, the 21 day program because people really need that specific kind of help. Right, right. Uh, last time we saw each other, um, I think you rolled your eyes when I said, uh, how's it going and how much traveling are you doing? <laughs> because you're, you were like, uh, you know, too much traveling. And uh, I know in your bio it says you've, you've done over 150 health and nutrition seminars worldwide. And I know for years you guys were just on the road all the time. Yeah. So the question is, how do you stay Whole30 compliant when you're on the road? Well, I usually try to schedule my whole thirties around like super duper travel because just for the reason that like I'm a, I'm pretty, I'm pretty set in a good, healthy, balanced diet for me. And I don't feel like I need to do another full whole 30 and B, if I'm traveling the way that I was last time I saw you, which was book tour, which was like four different cities in a, in a week, um, that can get pretty stressful. So like I can only pack so much whole 30 approved food with me. So I usually don't, I have Whole30 on the road before for sure, but I haven't done a full one in a while. I felt I feel like I just kind of don't need it. But staying healthy on the road is so easy at this point because I've had practice for such a long time. Like I just can walk into any restaurant whatsoever and know what I can eat and what I can order. I know what I can get away with in terms of like, oh, there's some rice in that, no big deal, or there's goat cheese on that. I absolutely can't have it. So I think practice is a big deal. I do a ton of planning and preparation before I travel. Like I research where my hotel is, where the grocery stores are, where the closest healthy eating joints are. Is there a Whole Foods or am I, you know, going to a normal grocery store? Um, I do all of that research upfront so that when I land in my destination, 
I know exactly where I'm going to go, what I could eat. I've researched the menu. Like all of that planning up front makes it a lot less stressful when I actually get on site. So those are some of the things I do. Right. No, that makes sense. I don't have I don't have that discipline, but I but I, I do feel like I can walk into any restaurant and and get something off the menu or you know cajole the the mm-hmm. uh, the the waiter to talk talk to the chef about preparing something that fits my my specs. Yeah. And yeah, and you know an I just kind of plan on eating a little more boringly when I'm on the road, like maybe it's kind of just plainer stuff, grilled chicken breast on top of a garden salad with olive oil and you know, mm-hmm. balsamic, but mm-hmm. I make up for that when I come home. Usually mm-hmm. when I come home, I can't wait to get in my kitchen and like cook something delicious. Right. So tell me about what's your perspective on wine? Well, um, I drink it because I think it's delicious if it's worth it. And I've done enough whole thirties where I've left it out and brought it back in that I know how much I can drink and how often I can drink and, and how it's not going to impact my, um, you know, how awesome I feel. Interestingly, every time, so I'm, I'm not on a whole 30 right now, but I haven't had an alcoholic beverage basically all month with the exception of like two drinks when I was in London and I don't miss it. Every time I give it up, I remind myself like, I actually don't miss it at all. Um, which is an interesting thing because I know at some point when I start drinking it again, I'll forget that I don't miss it and it will, (laughs) you know, sound better than usual, but I don't, I'm not drinking that often these days. I think ideally my goal for people is to figure out the broadest diet you can possibly eat while still feeling awesome. So if I can drink two glasses of wine a week and still feel just as awesome as I do if I don't have any, like, cool, I'll probably take myself up on two glasses of wine a week, right? Like, mm-hmm. But if I find that three or four knocks me off my feeling good pedestal, then I probably just won't take it that far. 100% agree. I, I have a basically saying, you know, that uh, goes like, you know, you, you find what you can get away with. Yeah. Uh, you see, and you you termed it the broadest possible diet, and still, you know, stay compliant or whatever. But and the prime, by the way, the primal blueprint was always about including the most variety of food possible yep. that didn't negatively impact your health. Yep. So it was never really intended to be ex- so exclusionary as it was. Okay, you know what what actually can I eat, and and if there are some items that I can eat in moderation um, that may not serve me if I just you know go whole hog on them, that's still okay. Yeah. Uh, and if I'm a person who doesn't put on a lot of weight and I don't get sick, uh, you know, I don't compromise my immune system from eating these foods, then maybe I can eat these foods a little bit. Yeah. And and the point was to find out, you know, the, the, where the edge is. Because I think people always want to kind of go right up to the edge and uh, and hopefully not go over it, but go right up to the edge. Because if I said, you know, you could, you know, you could be um, very fit, very healthy and very happy and all the things you want consuming, you know, 50 grams of sugar a day, you're a person who could get away with that. Uh, but I still don't want to do that because that's just too much sugar. Right. You know? so, so you got to find where that match is or where that mismatch is. And that's why I sort of use the term what you can get away with. Some people, I can get away with you know, eating more carbs than, than some people, but I don't overdo it because I know at some point it'll catch up with me. But I still push it right to the edge. Yeah. I still, you know, and I think where people really push it to the edge is people, I think, tend to have this concept like, uh, what's the most amount of food I can eat and not gain weight? Right. You know, and, and it's kind of funny because if you think about it, I mean, that's kind of how people live there. Like, let's go to Cheesecake Factory because they have big servings and big portions, you know, and, and, uh, I'll finish the plate because that's what they served me. Right. And as long as I don't gain weight, then, then everything's fine. But, you know, sometimes I think, well, maybe people ought to 
kind of take a look back and go, well, what's the least amount of food I can eat and still maintain energy and muscle mass yeah. and not get sick and most importantly, not be hungry. Yeah. And you find that people tend to eat a lot less food when you have that different mindset. Yeah. I mean, obviously the scale is not, you know, that's not the metric by which we are measuring health, obviously. So, and I know a lot of people are really focused on it, but you can lose muscle mass, gain fat, and that scale stays exactly the same and you're not going to be any healthier for it, nor will be you be happier with your body composition. Or you'll be less healthy. And right? Less, less exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Are you, what are you, are you drinking wine right now? We've shared a glass of wine or two in the past. I think we yes, were just we talking have. about wine. Yes, yeah. we have. Yes, we have. Are and you? Yes, we will. Um, well, so yeah. So, I, I did my own 30-day um, experiment about a year and a half ago and I gave up wine because I thought, well, I'm drinking two glasses a night. And I can get away with it. My wife's never seen me drunk in 30 years. My kids have never seen me yeah. tipsy. But, you know, but maybe two glasses a night is just too much, even though it was part of my ritual, part yeah. of my, you know, my, my night. It wasn't dinner if I didn't have wine. You know uh -huh. what I mean? It was just a snack otherwise. And, um, <laughs> uh, but I thought, well, what, see what happens if I give it up. And I gave it up and I've written about it a couple of times. I, I slept better. I didn't wake up at three o'clock in the morning and kind of toss and turn for an hour before going back to sleep. I, w I woke up feeling a little bit better. And I knew intuitively that lightening that ethanol load was probably doing me uh, some good. So the 30 days turned into a year, year and a half. And so now I have a glass or two a week. Mm -hmm. um, I appreciate it when I have it. But at the end of one glass, I go, That's, it, it, it isn't really that good. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, compelled to drink wine anymore. And what I did was I replaced the ritual component I replaced with uh, a non-alcoholic beer that's fizzy and has kind of ah. a savory taste with it. So, so I, I because it, when I say it wasn't dinner without wine, it, it when I gave up the wine, it, it still wasn't dinner. So I needed yeah. something to replace it, and water yeah. doesn't do it for me. So I, yeah, I, I put in this uh, non-alcoholic beer, and that's sort of what I that's kind of my go-to drink now instead. Nice. But having having said that, um, just discovered some paleo wines. And these are wines that are not made with any of the additives that are allowed in the U.S. There's 76 additives that are allowed yeah. uh, into wines uh, that doesn't have the sulfites uh, that has been processed in a way that doesn't overly macerate the skins to create more tannins and histamines. Yeah. And so it's a lighter wine and, and it doesn't – so all, the, all of the negative effects that I did have from drinking even the moderate amounts of wine, those have gone away too. So I'm, huh. I'm, I'm, I'm open and I'm going to share – Next time we meet, we talked about this. Yeah, um, you know, uh, on email, I'll share some of these with you. It's pretty nice. Cool. Thanks. I'll be, I'll be writing about it in detail in the. In the coming I like weeks. it. Yeah, I replaced my my like habit after I never I'm never a wine drinker at home. I never drink it at home like on my own. It's always social for me. But I got into the habit a couple of years ago of having something sweet after a meal, like dessert. And when I did. When I wanted to kind of kick that habit, I replaced it with brewing a cup of herbal tea. So that's my like after dinner ritual now, which I love. So it's like it it, it suits the purpose and it's the same kind of time and it's the same sort of um, I get the same like similar reward out of it. I just put a different routine in there. So I think no, that's I, really good. I, I, I agree. And I think that that people sometimes overlook how ritualistic yeah. meal time is mm -hmm. for a lot of people and how it should be. It's it, I think it's like one of the most important things that we do with our day yeah. is to, is to consume great tasting food and make it uh you know a, almost a spiritual experience so the i think the ritual part of it is important and if you've got something that's part of your ritual that isn't serving you right now there are ways to adapt like you did with the tea and like I did with a non-alcoholic beer that that within a couple of weeks you go oh I didn't I don't really miss the other aspect that was there for the last 20 years I've just replaced it with something that's serving me a little bit better. Yeah, I like that idea. I think that's really good. Good for yeah. you. Well, and good for you.
<laughs> so uh, let's see. So you recently gave a Whole30 seminar in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, wanted to know your estimation of the UK diet in comparison to the standard American diet. And um, any, are there any other countries that you've visited that are like way ahead of us in uh, in their dietary admonitions? Well, um, so... UK, I think they eat pretty similarly to us. Like London, the UK in general is not known for their like food scene, right? It's not like going to Italy and some everyone's like, oh, Italy, the food. Like London, UK has not historically been known. Um, I think they eat pretty similarly to the way that we eat. And I think in terms of the products that are available, they are like, I'm going to go three to five years behind where we are in terms of having really healthy, like beef jerky and condiments and some of these convenience foods that we've become accustomed to, you know, chicken sausage. And like, they just don't have that stuff. When I went and talked to a couple of their food producers over there, and when I went to do a tour of the Whole Foods at Piccadilly, um, they just don't have this stuff. So it's, um, it's frustrating for people, the primal people and the Whole30 people over there. We're talking about all these amazing things. And like the first person to bring you know, compliant jerky or ghee over to the UK is just going to kill it. Like mm-hmm. hint, hint, they're just going to kill it because they don't have anything like that over there. Um, I've done seminars in Mexico and Sweden and Copenhagen and, you know, all these different places. And I mean, Mexico is, they're not eating any healthier than we are at all. If anything, you know, their obesity rates are sometimes I've read even worse than ours. Um, Denmark, Copenhagen and Karlstad, Sweden, where we did seminars, like they seem to be a little bit more kind of naturally focused in terms of their diet. They're eating more, you know, omega-3s in the fish. They do a lot of like, uh, they're doing a lot of full fat kind of pastured organic dairy, like all their dairy is pastured, which is really nice. So you don't have to make the specification of like, oh, make sure that it's grass fed or make sure that it's pastured. So in that aspect, they're doing really well. But I think you see these modern convenience foods and these like foods with no breaks basically pervading every single developed country at this point. Right. The fact that they're pastured, does that of necessity mean that they don't use antibiotics and, and uh, added hormones? I, you know, I'd have to like look into the rules specifically. I would think that it would mean that they don't, but I don't know what the laws are in those other countries um, the, as they are here. So I don't, yeah. I can't, I'm not sure. No, that always kind of um, intrigues me because in a lot of these countries, past, the fact that they're pastured is just that's how they grow the right. animals. That's how they've always done it. So there's no concentrated feedlots. There's just no room for that because it's, uh, yep. you know, whatever. And uh, so I was wondering, well, does that mean of necessity that they, they're not using the, the other <laughs> – yeah. In other words, they're not feeding them grass because they're trying to be extremely green and nice about it. They're just feeding them grass because that's what they've always done. Yep. And so are they trying to use shortcuts elsewhere? Yeah, I don't know, actually. That's a really good question. I haven't um, dug into their food systems enough. It's really hard. It's so hard. I want to provide more resources for, you know, the UK and Canada and Australia and New Zealand. Like, I want to, but it's so hard because I'm not there. So I'm trying to work really hard on getting some more boots on the ground support in those areas so that we can develop some of these products and that we can, you know, have some resource guides for those areas. And so I can easily answer those questions for concentrated, you know, areas of Whole30 years. Right. Yeah. So um, what about Whole30 for kids? I love that idea so much, but I absolutely would have to partner with a medical doctor, pediatrician to Mm -hmm. to deliver that info, right? Mm -hmm. Because kids are such a sensitive population, kids and pregnant ladies. So, you know, we just came out with our resource for 
healthy pregnancies, the Happy Mama Healthy Baby series. And I worked in conjunction with Stephanie Grunke, who's a registered dietitian who specializes in pre and postnatal health. I think mm-hmm. the same thing would have to happen with kids. I would need to find a, a pediatrician and perhaps a registered dietitian who specialized in, you know, kids to get that um, message to the market because I just don't, I don't have the right credentials to talk to parents about what to feed their kids. Um, although I do think I have some pretty good ideas on how to help them make the transition and make it work for your family. So right. I would love to do something like that. I think it's obviously you and I share the idea that like, if it's just as healthy, it's, if it's healthy for adults, it's going to be really healthy for your kids too. Absolutely. Uh, so what about product extensions or what, where, where do you see whole 30 in five years? Oh my goodness. Well, Everyone in the world is going to be doing the whole 30 in five years. <laughs> That's right. Um, I don't think we want to get into like products, whole 30 branded products. I really don't. I think we're really first and foremost an education company. And we've got companies like you, Primal Kitchen. We've got companies like, you know, Epic Bar and, and Tessie Mays and all these other folks who do product um, creation so much better than we could at this point in the game. Like I'm really just super happy to partner with people like you and have you bring whole 30 compliant products to the market. So I don't think that's a direction we're going. I definitely, we're talking about getting more boots on the ground support. I want to start creating whole 30 communities and like every city and every state and every country. So that's something we're working on in the coming year is how to get kind of these community groups together and how to keep them connected through social media, through an app um, that's coming out midsummer that I'm really excited about. Uh, and I'm going to personally start talking a lot in the coming year about life after your whole 30, because it's mm-hmm. not just about the 30 days. Like people can do your 21 day primal challenge, but what do they do after that? Like there's, Absolutely. you have to provide a ton of resources for how to turn this into a lifestyle, which I know that you've done. And I'm working on doing even more of that for our community too. What's So what's the typical, um, Whole thirty person? Do they do it once a year? Do they do it twice a year? Um, you, do you have any any metrics on that? Well, I think you know most people do it at least once a year, if not in January of a time of their choosing, just as sort of a regular reset. We have some people with medical conditions or really some you know chronic disease or really ser- serious sugar addictions who may do it a couple times you know, in quick succession, just to kind of help them get back on a healthy track and, and sort of really ingrain those new healthy habits. Um, ideally, you know, we talk about this idea, Dallas wrote about this last year that like, ideally, at some point, you never have to do the whole 30 again, because you're just living it, you're living it, and you found a good healthy balance. And there's no need to do a reset, because, you know, your diet is perfectly in balance with how well you want to look and feel and your quality of life. But most people come back to it at least once a year, if not more often, uh, either to support family and friends doing the program or because they feel like they need a reset or because something like a stressful event in their life or a vacation or holiday kind of pushes them off their normal healthy eating game. Do you have people who are just doing the Whole30 all the time, the, the strict Whole30? I hope not. I encourage people so, so much not to do that. That's I don't I can't tell you what to eat for the rest of your life, nor should you want me to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've seen some people do Whole100s for specific like chronic illness or autoimmune conditions, I'm okay with that. But a whole 365, like that's just not the point of the program. At some point, you need to learn how to make decisions for yourself in the real world. I agree 100%. I'm, I, you know, I talk about my, my role as a blogger is to give information to allow people to make intuitive choices that serve them well, both in the short term and the long term. Yeah. And, 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 and if they make 
you know, what they perceive later on to have been the wrong choice to be okay with that, to, 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 to move on guilt-free and just say, that's the way it goes. I'm fine. I, you know, life is great and I'll just make a better choice next time. Yeah. Because that's how you learn. You don't learn until you have some bad judgment or make a bad decision. And then you look back on it and say, that wasn't worth it. Or that didn't work out well. And like, then hopefully you don't do it again. Or at least you think about how to do it differently next time. That's how you learn. It's not, I talked about this in my last Periscope video. You haven't failed. Like it's a learning process. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I totally agree. So Melissa, do you have any upcoming events you'd like people to know about? Um, I don't, which is kind of nice. That means my travel schedule is not crazy. <laughs> right. I'm, do- I'm doing an awesome wellness retreat in Costa Rica um, towards the end of February. It's, it's sold out, unfortunately. Um, if no, you wanted to no, come, I could probably make a spot for you if you <laughs> yeah. wanted to come. Um, but it's, uh, it's going to be like 50 or 60 people who are going to come and do like yoga and Pilates and you know hiking and all these different healthy activities. I'm going to do seminars on everything from food to social media and branding, to like how to find work-life balance in today's busy modern time. Um, There's going to be really good community sessions. And I did this retreat with the same group here in Park City last year. And it was like one of the best four-day weekends of my life. Everyone was so nice. And just the social interaction and the outdoor exposure and everything, the healthy movement, like all of it was just so good. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, And I'll be at Natural Products Expo West out in your area. Yes, you will. Did you get an invite to the party yet? I did. I'm trying to figure out if I can come out a day (laughs) earlier for it because I basically want to swim in a pool full of your Chipotle mayo. (laughs) Will that be there? (laughs) That that could be arranged. Perfect. Um, Yeah, that would be fun. Cool. So we'll put your links in the show notes, but what what are the ways people can connect with you and the Whole30 program? Yeah, so you can connect with Whole30. It's just at Whole30 on everything. So it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Periscope, just at whole and the number three zero. And then I'm really active on my personal Instagram page with whole 30 years and also like lots of off topic, just life fun stuff. So it's Melissa underscore Hartwig on Instagram. And I'd love to see you guys there too. Very cool. Melissa Hartwig, such a pleasure to catch up with you. Wish we had more time. Um, thanks for being on the show today. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing you soon. Me too, especially if you have a glass of that paleo wine in your hand for me, please. <laughs> I will. You take care. Sounds good. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. And thanks for listening today. That's, uh, that's it. That's a wrap. Mark Sisson here at the Primal Blueprint Podcast Studios in Malibu. See you next time. Got a passion for Primal? Join Mark Sisson on a mission to save the world. Become a Primal Blueprint certified expert today. With our dollar down payment program, it's easier than ever. Just pay $1 to start and $89 a month for the next 12 months. The Primal Blueprint Expert Certification is the most comprehensive online Primal Paleo certification program of its kind. Explore the fascinating world of ancestral health from the comfort of your own home with this premier multimedia experience. Perfect for health and fitness professionals, as well as individuals looking to up-level their primal practice. Visit primalblueprint.com slash get certified to put a dollar down today.